Good Tuesday morning. It is official. Hollywood writers going on strike overnight. And some of your favorite shows are about to be impacted. It is May the 2nd. This is Today. Hollywood drama. More than 10,000 screenwriters walking out for the first time in more than 15 years after contract negotiations collapse overnight. Popular late night shows set to air reruns starting tonight. The first wave of what could be a devastating work stoppage for the television and film industry. We'll have the very latest. Highway tragedy, a blinding dust storm, leads to a devastating pileup involving more than 70 cars and trucks. At least six people killed, dozens more hospitalized, survivors sharing harrowing stories. There's cars all over the median and on the other side of the road, everywhere. That busy interstate still shut down this morning. Debt deadline. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warning the U.S. could run out of cash in a matter of weeks. The White House and lawmakers locked in a standoff over a solution. President Biden and congressional leaders set to meet in the coming days. A live report from Washington just ahead. Wedding day tragedy. A newlywed bride killed her husband hospitalized after being hit by an alleged drunk driver moments after the reception. Their families now speaking out. His sister, a daughter, a wife died in her wedding dress because someone made a terrible decision. The emotional interview and the arrest in the case. Those stories plus, thinking out loud, Ed Sheeran back on the stand and saying he will be done with the music industry if he's found guilty of copying a Marvin Gaye classic. The latest on that closely watched trial just ahead. And fashion and fun. Stars struck their stuff at the Met Gala honoring legendary designer Karl Lagerfeld in creative ways. I could just imagine him looking down with a big smile on his face, uh, seeing Choupette in all his glory. We'll take you inside fashion's biggest night. <laughs> Did he just purr with us? Today, Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Oda Cutby. Live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Well, hi, good to see you. Welcome to today. It's a Tuesday morning. I can't wait to get to <laughs> Chanel. I want her to tell me what it was like being there with all I that mean, happening. <laughs> there was a, a lot, lot going on, um, including the giant cat suit. I mean, there's just a lot. You know, fashion, we have fashion? Like, it's doing its thing. It's doing you its thing. You may not understand it, but it sure yeah. is fun to watch. All right, we'll talk about that. Let's get to our top story, though, now. The Writers Guild of America calling a strike at 12.01 just after midnight as the last-minute negotiations broke down. Down. WGA members could be on the picket lines as soon as this afternoon. So what does it all mean? Well, late night shows are the first to be affected. Many will go into reruns starting tonight, given their nightly schedules and topical format. Yeah, so then next comes daytime TV soap operas, also due to uh, their daily schedules. And we should note that our writers here at Today and the writers across news outlets are not part of that union. They're part of a different union. So they are not striking mm-hmm. and the words go on. Finally, network and many streaming shows began scripting in May. So this goes on. There could be a potential delay in the upcoming fall season. Let's get the very latest on where everything stands. We'll bring in NBC national correspondent Miguel Almaguer. Hey, Miguel, good morning. 
Hi, guys. Good morning. More than 11,000 film and television writers could be on the picket lines as early as today. And the impact of this strike could be long lasting for everyone in the industry and for viewers at home. Camera set. Overnight, the Hollywood ending many feared. The Writers Guild calling a strike after negotiators were unable to reach a deal with the studios and streamers, saying, for the sake of our present and our future, we have been given no other choice. On the Met Gala carpet, Tinseltown A-listers voicing support. I think it'll affect all of us. It'll affect every part of the industry and, and um, people beyond the industry. Writers like Cody Blue Snyder says many of his colleagues are making making less than they did a decade ago because of how streaming has changed the industry. We're asking for just a livable wage and and for our jobs to be protected and for us to make residuals on uh, the, the, the content we're creating. So how will this impact you at home? That depends on how long the shutdown lasts. The 2007-2008 strike, which lasted 100 days, put some shows on hold for up to four months. The first thing that viewers at home will notice that their favorite late night shows will go into reruns. Hosts like Seth Myers, who's also a writer, voicing support for the union. I also feel very strongly that what the writers are asking for is not unreasonable. Daytime soap operas will also run out of scripts, and it might not end there. If this lasts a couple months, we'll start to see the impact on the fall TV schedule, and some movies will have to be pushed back. In the unlikely event a strike lasts more than six months, analysts say even next year summer blockbusters could be affected. The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers says it presented a comprehensive package proposal to the Guild last night, which included generous increases in compensation for writers as well as improvements in streaming residuals. But this morning, no deal, as a high-stakes showdown comes at a pivotal moment for high Hollywood. As for the impact on movies and streaming shows, Netflix recently said they have enough content to last them through the end of the year, and most major films set their release dates for later this year have already been shot. But the last strike in 2007-2008 forced the James Bond film Quantum of Solace to be rushed into production. Daniel Craig said back then that the bare bones of a script, that they needed a, to employ a writer just to finish it, and we want to mention our parent company, Comcast, is one of the companies negotiating with WGA. Hoda? We'll see how this unfolds. Miguel Almaguer for us. Miguel, thank you. We turn now to that tragic accident in Illinois, a blinding dust storm leading to a deadly highway pileup involving nearly 80 vehicles. At least six people were killed. Dozens have been hospitalized. NBC's Shaquille Brewster has the very latest on this really unfortunate incident. Shaq, good morning. Good morning, Savannah. And that stretch of highway about three and a half hours south of Chicago is still closed this morning. It's a reflection of the impact and scale of this pileup that officials say came and stemmed from a relatively common occurrence. But this highway dust storm having rare and deadly consequences. Oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's right there in front of us. I see. Oh, my God. A blinding dust storm along Interstate 55 in rural Illinois causing a deadly pileup. There are multiple injuries, multiple injuries, multiple vehicles. Authorities say excessive winds blew around dirt from nearby farm fields, leading to zero visibility on the roadway. The crashes occurred within a two-mile stretch from roughly milepost 76 to milepost 78. 
The terrifying ordeal happened in an instant, killing six people and injuring more than 30. Overnight, state police identifying one victim, 88-year-old Shirley Harper, and releasing these new images confirming more than 70 vehicles were involved in the crash. There's another ambulance in front of us. The wild dust storm leaving behind an apocalyptic scene. Vehicles flipped over, others completely smashed. Tractor trailers engulfed in flames. Oh, God. oh still blowing up. Over 30 agencies responded. This is a difficult scene, something that is very hard to train for, um, something that we really haven't experienced locally. Officials say these kinds of dust storms are not uncommon, but the number of vehicles and casualties is very unusual. I got lucky. I didn't get crushed. I could have been. Nathan Cormier was able to drive away safely before getting out to help others. I pulled off to the left side here and got out and started going to different cars and make sure because there was cars all over the median and on the other side of the road, everywhere. In a statement, Illinois' governor calling the fatal scene horrific. My heart goes out to anybody that found themselves involved in this particular situation. My heart goes out to them. Truly scary images there. State police say those hospitalized range from ages 2 all the way up to 80. We know at least one person was airlifted from the scene. And their injuries are described as everything from minor all the way up to life-threatening. Savannah? All right, what a tragedy. Shaq Brewster, thank you. Also this morning, the White House is confronting two crises that could have major consequences for the economy. The Treasury Secretary now warning the U.S. could run out of money to pay its bills in a matter of weeks if the debt limit isn't raised or suspended. And there are new concerns about the nation's banks following yesterday's sale of troubled First Republic Bank to J.P. Morgan Chase. When I get right to NBC's chief White House correspondent, Peter Alexander P. Peter, good morning. Let's start with the debt limit. We've seen, of course, this kind of brinksmanship before. What is the latest? So, Savannah, we're now just 30 days away from that deadline for a possible default. Again, that's according to the Treasury Secretary. And that's really amping up the urgency for a deal here with the threat of an economic catastrophe looming. President Biden on Monday, he invited all four congressional leaders to the White House for a meeting May 9th, one week from today. And NBC News has just learned that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy accepted the invite. He'll be there. Still, both sides have hardened their positions here with the president vowing not to negotiate over paying the country's bills. Bills, remember, that have already been incurred, noting that Republicans voted to raise the debt limit without conditions three times under, under former President Trump. Republicans, for their part, they are demanding future spending cuts and really taking aim at many of President Biden's legislative priorities before they will agree to raise the debt limit. Savannah. All right, we'll continue to watch that crisis. And then let's talk about the banking industry. First Republic Bank had to be purchased uh, by J.P. Morgan Chase. How is the White House navigating this? Always the, the fear is some kind of ripple effect or contagion. Yeah, another potential political headache for President Biden. He's really working to reassure Americans that the nation's banking system is safe and sound. He also made clear this plan is going to protect First Republic customers. But importantly, he says that taxpayers will not be left on the hook here. The president is now calling on Congress to step up regulations of both large and regional banks to avoid this from happening again. But Savannah, importantly, there is still real concern about the health of some of those regional banks who have faced challenges with interest rates rising. Savannah. All right, Peter Alexander at the White House. Peter, thank you.
Let's move now to that intense manhunt for the suspect in that Texas mass shooting. Hundreds of officers are involved in the search, but right now they admit they have very few leads. NBC's Sam Brock has more on that story. Hey, Sam, good morning. Hoda, good morning. The fog is so thick right now in Cleveland, Texas, you can barely see even feet in front of you as investigators are now entering the fourth day of the search for a murder suspect whose face, as you can see, is appearing on billboards right now in a county, Hoda, that covers some 700 square miles. We are also learning more about the father of that murdered nine-year-old boy who says that he contacted police five times in 20 minutes waiting for aid that arrived after the massacre. For a community desperate for answers, there aren't many so far. Despite dogs roaming the streets and police canvassing neighborhoods, there's been no sign of Francisco Oropesa, the man wanted for five murders who police say erupted into violence when asked by neighbors not to fire his assault rifle on the front lawn. It's truly just unexpected. On Monday, a few false alarms, reports of spottings that turn into nothing as neighbors try to manage their terror. Teresa Morris heard shots from her daughter's house right down the street that Friday night, but had no idea the depth of violence unfolding. Has it sunk in that you were witness to this sort of gunfire? That's what sort of, uh, get a little emotional thinking about it. I was here when that happened. And I didn't do anything, but I didn't know, you know, I mean, what could I have done? The tears for so many coming with major revelations about the massacre. <laughs> Wilson Garcia, whose son and wife were both murdered, told NBC News that he called police late Friday night after their neighbor refused to stop shooting a gun outside and threatened them. Garcia telling our Priscilla Thompson that he and his family called police five times in about 20 minutes. He says the neighbor turned up at the house and began shooting. Officials with San Jacinto County haven't responded yet to our requests about how many calls were made or how long it took officers to arrive. But they did tell NBC News they have 10 days to respond to our request for answers. Then there's ICE's confirmation that Oropesa had been deported four times between 2009 and 2016. But the community now just focusing on the pain. Could have been us, you know? I mean, it's scary. It's scary. And I think it's starting to sink in. Thank God it wasn't my family. In other developments, Wilson Garcia says that his wife got along really well with the wife of the suspect. And in fact, that Oropesa had come over at one point to help them cut down a tree at Hoda on the night of the murders. He says that his wife saw, they both did, Oropesa walking over with a loaded weapon. She said, you know what, you go inside, I'll stand outside and confront him because he would never shoot a woman. And heartbreakingly, that proved to be wrong. Uh, Hoda. It's a horrible story. Uh, Sam Brock for us there. Sam, thank you. Authorities found the bodies of seven people yesterday on a rural property in Oklahoma. The discovery near the town of Henrietta came during a search for two missing teens and a convicted sex offender. The bodies were believed to include those of 14-year-old Ivy Webster and 16-year-old Brittany Brewer. Police say they also found the body of 39-year-old Jesse McFadden, the sex offender that the teens were traveling with. Officials have so far declined to provide details of how they died. All right, we have 15 minutes past the hour. Welcoming Craig to the table. Hey, Craig, good morning. Welcome back, Savannah. Welcome back. Good morning to you. Good morning to you as well. More than a month after he was detained in Russia, calls are growing louder for the immediate release of jailed American journalist Evan Gershkovich. NBC's chief foreign correspondent Richard Engel is in Paris with this story. Richard, good morning to you. 
Good morning, Craig. It is good to be with you. Gershkovich and his newspaper deny adamantly that he was spying in Russia, but these are serious charges. If convicted, he faces up to 20 years in prison. Wall Street Journal correspondent Evan Gershkovich, last seen in court, is the first American journalist detained in Russia on spying charges since the Cold War. And he's being held at Moscow's notorious Lefortovo prison, where colleagues say he shares a cell with another inmate, is given one hour a day to walk in a narrow yard, and is reading War and Peace to pass the time. But Gershkovich can receive mail, old-fashioned letters, provided, according to prison regulations, they're in Russian, so censors can read them, and mailed from inside Russia. So his colleagues have set up a letter-writing campaign to keep his spirits up. Polina Ivanova, a friend who worked in Russia for the Financial Times, is one of the organizers. One of the best ways to support him is to make sure that he knows that he is the center of everybody's attention worldwide right now. And the way that we're doing that is getting him letters. The first reply that he sent us to his group of friends, he spoke about how important these letters are for him. It works like this. Supporters write in emails, which a team translates into Russian. Then a group of volunteers in Russia, who preferred not to show their faces, take the letters, stuff the envelopes, drive them to the post office, and mail them to the prison. Through a lawyer, Gershkovich said, I am humbled and deeply touched by all the letters I received. I've read each one carefully, with gratitude. The U.S. State Department has formally designated Gershkovich as wrongfully detained, more like a hostage than a prisoner. President Biden delivering a message to his family this weekend. We all stand with you. Ever want to report Russia to shed light on the darkness that you all escaped from years ago? At the Wall Street Journal's London office, Gershkovich's boss says he's a victim of plummeting relations between Russia and the United States after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. He's a journalist who's doing his job, and journalism should not be a crime. Russian journalists and other political prisoners held at Lefortovo prison describe feeling completely alone. The monotony only broken by reading and the joy of mail. For those who want to write to Evan, an email has been set up, freegershkovich at gmail.com. And there's more information on our website, nbcnews.com. Our chief foreign correspondent, Richard Ingleforce. Richard, thank you. Let us get our first check of the weather mm-hmm. on a Tuesday morning. Al, good morning. Hey, Al, good morning. morning, guys. Good to see you, and good to see you as well. The weather, depending on where you are, if you don't like it, you're going to be stuck with it for another couple of days. You can see we've got this swirl, this just pesky low-pressure system that won't go anywhere. we got winter storm warnings, the UP of Michigan, parts of Wisconsin, and also along the Appalachians as this system pivots around and bringing colder weather. And here's what we're stuck with right now. We've got the great... Great Lakes snow, days of showers, cool and cloudy for the Midwest and the Northeast. Out west, we've got rain showers, mountain snows, chilly weather. That's for California. The reason for this, an omega block. Where does it get its name? Well, the jet stream is shaped like the Greek letter omega, as you can see. Now, the storm systems are tracked 
on each side of this block. And so we're going to have cooler, wetter weather, Great Lakes, Northeast, Mid-Atlantic states, and we're going to be looking at cooler weather out in California. In between, we've got that warmer weather, but that low-pressure system, that's the one that was responsible for that pileup along uh, I-55 that we caught, turned deadly. So unfortunately, it's not going to break down until around Thursday. So what you see is what you get right now for about the next 48 hours. And that's your latest weather. Next half hour, if you've been sniffling and sneezing, yes, yes, everybody there's is. a reason why. We we'll might know why. Sneezing right. for a reason. Oh, yeah. Al, thank you. Just ahead, guys, your summer travel outlook, including a major change to speed up your flights. Yes. Tom Costello's got that story. Hey, Tom. Hey there. So the FAA is opening up new highways in the sky. Really cool. We'll tell you what it's all about, why it will speed you along this summer. All right, Tom, look forward to that. Plus, we've got new details this morning on the coronation of King Charles this weekend and the important roles the youngest members of the royal family will play. We'll have more on that in a live report from Buckingham Palace. But first, this is Today on NBC. He would lie his way into their dreams. He was looking for James Bond girls. How fun would that be to be a Bond girl? Then twist them into a nightmare. This guy's done this before. He'll do it again. Until a group of women banded together to put him behind bars and keep him there. You have to participate fiercely, fiercely in what happens next. I'm Keith Morrison, and this is Murder in the Hollywood Hills, an all-new podcast from Dateline. All episodes of Murder in the Hollywood Hills are available now. To listen ad-free, subscribe to Dateline Premium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or DatelinePremium.com. If you ever needed to be persuaded that bad things can happen anywhere, then take a journey with us. From compelling mysteries to in-depth investigations, our Dateline episodes are available as podcasts. Follow Dateline NBC now to get new episodes every Tuesday. To listen ad-free, subscribe to Dateline Premium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or DatelinePremium.com. Great storytelling with a twist from the true crime original. It's a soggy one, but spirits are high out on our plaza. Live look. It's Tuesday morning, 2nd of May, and we cannot wait to join them. Mm-hmm. But first, Hoda, you have a powerful conversation coming up for us tomorrow. Oh, I do. I do. She's a wonderful human being. We remember Stephen Twitch, boss. He's the beloved dancer, yeah. longtime DJ on Ellen's show. And we remember his wife, Allison. Well, she sat down with us. It's her first television interview since a Twitch took his own life. And she has some things that she would like America to know oh. about her husband, the man with the megawatt smile. He brought us so much joy. He sure so did. So much joy. Yeah, so, so many so people many. been thinking about her mm-hmm. and the family. Yeah, and the kids, too. Her. That's tomorrow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Memorial Day, now just a few weeks away. Of course, that's always known as the kickoff to the busy summer mm-hmm. travel season. Oh, yes. And the FAA is hoping that my- Modified routes will help to improve the congested East Coast airways and hopefully speed up our flights, folks. But it comes as pilots for the country's largest airline have voted to authorize a strike. NBC's Tom Costello covers aviation, has everything that we need to know as we book these flights heading into into summer. Hey, Tom. 
Hey, guys, good morning. Listen, on that American Airlines Pilots Union authorizing the strike, that's all they've done so far, authorize the strike. They're not on strike as they're in negotiations with the airlines, although they are walking an informational picket line. But more importantly, the FAA opening up new highways in the sky, high-altitude highways, the hope that it will speed all of us along this summer. At the nation's airports, the countdown is on to the quasi-official start of summer travel. And with passenger levels now at or exceeding pre-pandemic levels, the pressure is on to make that experience as smooth as possible. Along the East Coast, the FAA says 169 newly activated high-altitude flight routes should make travel on the nation's skyways more efficient. One of the biggest changes, less zigzagging in the air with more direct paths. We time things down to the minute for a reason. And uh, at the airport, uh, every minute counts. The FAA says the move should make trips between airports, including regional airports, more efficient by shaving off time, helping to save fuel for the airlines and improving safety because the routes, which are mostly above 18,000 feet, use GPS technology rather than ground radar. As you create um, new highways in the sky by using better technology, you de-stress the whole environment. Uh, the experience for the passenger gets better. You save fuel, you save emissions, and you save time. So I think it's it's a win-win for everybody. It comes as both United and Delta have trimmed flights into New York and Washington to help with congestion and a shortage of air traffic controllers. At nearly a dozen American Airlines hubs on Monday, pilots on the picket line after their union voted overwhelmingly to authorize a strike as it negotiates a new contract. What every pilot on this line here wants to have happen is that we come to an agreement on a contract. But importantly, U.S. law prevents immediate action, so a strike is not imminent. Looking at the weather, uh, nothing has uh, seems to be percolating yet. Still, the biggest variable for all airlines year-round, the weather. If we get a thunderstorm on the East Coast, particularly in New York or Atlanta, it's going to have a much larger impact with the number of aircraft that are, are going to be affected by that. So, Tommy, you, you mentioned that these new highways are going to make it uh, more efficient to fly. Does that then mean it's going to reduce the number of, of delays as well? Asking for a friend. <laughs> Well, that's yeah, exactly. That certainly is the hope. I mean, listen, we had 20 percent of flights delayed last year, 20 percent so far this year, 22 percent. Usually it's because of the weather. So what we're talking about here, according to the FAA, is about six thousand miles saved, about four, make that sorry, six thousand minutes saved, 40,000 miles saved per year because of these new highways in the sky. That's the hope. Anyway, the test is this summer. Okay. Sounds like it could be some good news there. Tom, thank you. All right. Well, still ahead this morning, new information on a terrible case in South Carolina. A new bride was killed and her groom seriously injured on their wedding night by an alleged drunk driver. We're going to hear from their families just ahead. But first, Molly Hunter is live in London where the youngest royals are in the spotlight as we count down to the king's coronation. Hey, Molly. Hey guys, good morning. That's right, one more royal celebration before the big one, of course, next Saturday. And today, all eyes are on little Princess Charlotte. She's got a birthday, and we will tell you all about it coming up right after this break. Alpha One Niner, commence Wi Fi device checklist. Laptops on. TVs streaming. Game console console. Smart thermostat set for cuddle time. Doorbell camera 
Whoa, my package is here. Fast, reliable, able to power tons of devices inside your home at once. All systems go, you are clear for takeoff. This is Xfinity Internet, Wi-Fi built to wow. And watch the short film, The Aviators, now playing at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply, actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Hello, parents, homeschoolers, and teachers. Trusty narrator here from the Who Smarted podcast. Our 15-minute episodes are perfect for car rides, bedtime, break time, class time, or any time. We make learning science and history fun and funny for 7 to 11-year-olds with new episodes every week. Look for Who Smarted on any podcast platform or at whosmarted.com. And teachers get a free subscription to our ad-free version by clicking educators at whosmarted.com. We're back now, 739, just days away from the long-awaited coronation of King Charles. And I know someone who's heading to London, Miss Savannah Guthrie, back in your bag. My bag, you want to get come with me? Uh, it's going to be fun. Of yeah. course, the coronation is Saturday. It marks the official beginning of a new chapter for the royal family. Every day, the palace is sharing new details about the ceremony, and NBC's Molly Hunter is all over it. She's at Buckingham Palace. Where else? Hi, Molly. Hey, Savannah, we can't wait till you are right here at Buckingham Palace at the end this week. But that is exactly right. The palace is releasing a few new details every single day. But today, the focus is actually on King Charles's granddaughter, Princess Charlotte. She's got a big birthday. Take a look. This morning, the countdown is on for the coronation. But there's one more royal celebration before the big day. Princess Charlotte turning eight years old today, smiling, albeit with a few missing teeth in a picture snapped by mom Kate. Over the weekend, the pair spotted out enjoying a mother-daughter birthday at the ballet, seeing Cinderella. And while Charlotte won't have an official role at the coronation, well, she's always found a way to grab our attention, just like little brother Louis. But older brother, nine-year-old Prince George, now the second in line to the throne, will serve as one of his grandfather's pages of honor. Traditionally, the children or grandchildren of the monarch haven't had a role in the coronation. Uh, Charles was simply an onlooker at his mother's coronation. A new BBC documentary sharing unseen photos of King Charles as a grandfather with George and Charlotte. He is going to be very keen to include those younger generations and to make it look more like a family affair. The whole young Wales family is expected to join the king on the Buckingham Palace balcony for that royal wave. Conspicuously absent, likely Prince Harry, who will reportedly be racing back home to California to celebrate his son Archie's fourth birthday. But it is largely a family affair. In the procession from Westminster Abbey back to the palace, the king's younger sister, Princess Anne, will ride on horseback behind the newly crowned king and queen. So I said, yes, not least of all, it, I'm... So is my dress problem. In a rare interview, Princess Anne maintains that Charles will keep the monarchy afloat despite a growing conversation about relevance. The monarchy provides with the constitution a degree of long-term stability. Meanwhile, like so much in this coronation, the historic glittering robes that Charles will wear haven't been used in 70 years, dusting those off all part of these final days of preparation.
Now, I am loving all of these new details, but it is still business as usual. You guys, just a few minutes ago, we did see King Charles leave Buckingham Palace. He's headed over to Westminster Hall. Camilla will actually meet him there for a reception. And he did get quite a little reception out here. Some crowds were cheering. They will then meet with both houses of parliament. And later today, he will host the prime minister of Australia. A busy day of engagements leading up, of course, to the big day on Saturday. Guys. I know they were cheering for Charles, but Molly, maybe they were cheering for you, too. A a little birdie told us (laughs) that you got married. Congratulations. I did. Thank you guys so much. Very exciting. Beautiful. How sweet. Was it that? Was that this weekend? That was last weekend. Took a nice little week off before Coronation Week, of course, (laughs) but packing all sorts of big events. By the way, fun fact, Molly's husband's name? Yeah. William. Oh, oh see, yes. it's all she married her own prince. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Thanks, Molly. Molly. Congratulations. And once again, we're taking this show on yep. the road. We'll be in London starting on Friday. You can uh, watch the entire coronation live. Actually, get up early with us Saturday morning right here on NBC. Cool. What's your, what are you most excited about over there? <laughs> um, you know, I like to go to a pub when I'm there. <laughs> okay. I mean, if, sorry, that's you put it. me on the spot. That's okay. the truth. I like to have like a burger yeah. and a, and a, and just a pint. Like us. Yeah. Just like us. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. So, Mr. Roker, you've got some, some news for allergies. Yes, yeah, we so. do. The plowman's lunch at a good British pub yes, I mean, cannot be beaten, I will tell you. But unfortunately, pollen season, thanks to climate change, really becoming a big problem. Since 1970, we've been seeing longer growing seasons, which means more time for plants to produce more pollen. As you can see, anywhere from one week to one month shorter, especially on the eastern half of the country, is one month longer of the growing season, and that produces more pollen. And since 1990, the pollen concentrations thanks to climate change, have actually increased by 20%. The pollen season, on average, three weeks longer. And as we look at the pollen forecast for today, for high pollen levels from the Rockies right on into the mid-Atlantic, thanks to the showers and such, not so bad today in the northeast and down south and out west. But pollen, a big problem if you've been sneezing or sniffling. And that is your latest weather. Guys, all right. Thanks, buddy. Coming up next, Ed Sheeran sounding off on the witness stand at his copyright trial. Why he says that this case is insulting and the surprising thing that he's also saying about his future in music. All right, stick around. That's nice. Yes. We're back at 748 with a closely watched copyright infringement trial. Closely watched because it involves pop star Ed Sheeran. Yeah, he has now wrapped up his testimony in the case that surrounds Sheeran's hit, Thinking Out Loud, and whether it copied the classic Marvin Gaye song, let's get it on. Jacob Sobroff's covering this one for us. Yeah, you guys, it's a fascinating case. Sheeran was at times defensive during his cross-examination yesterday as the plaintiff's team tries to convince the jury that he intentionally stole elements of that iconic Marvin Gaye song. English singer-songwriter turned global sensation Ed Sheeran finding himself in a rare and unwanted spotlight this morning. A potentially damaging copyright lawsuit involving his hit song, Thinking Out Loud. Ed, what do you want to say to your fans who are supporting you right now? Thank you. Sheeran is accused of copying part of the melody from the late Marvin Gaye's classic song, Let's Get It On, something he vehemently denies. Sheeran's being sued by the heirs of Ed Townsend, Gaye's Let's Get It On co-writer. The family is represented by prominent civil rights attorney Benjamin Crump, who says the two songs have striking similarities. No cameras are allowed at the trial, but testimony between Sheeran and opposing counsel at times has become heated. 
The singer saying his music career may slow down if he's found liable, telling the court, if that happens, I'm done. Adding, to have someone come in and say we don't believe you, you must have stole it, I find insulting. Sharon also gave the jury an impromptu concert, playing his guitar on the stand to make the argument the inspiration for his song was actually Van Morrison, not Marvin Gaye. Last week, Crump's team called a mashup of Let's Get It On and Thinking Out Loud that Sheeran performed live in 2014 a smoking gun and that merging the songs was basically a confession. Sheeran responding if he had actually stolen that melody, he'd be an idiot to perform it in front of a crowd of 20,000 people. So following Sheeran's testimony, his co-writer and producer also took the stand. They both denied the copyright claim, saying Marvin Gaye was not on anyone's mind when writing Thinking Out Loud. I don't think anybody's happy to be in that no. courtroom on no. that side of the table. Exactly. Just ahead, guys, Joanna Gaines will be along with us live. She's got some big milestones to share and a special recipe from her brand new cookbook. There Plus then Chanel, our Met Gala tour guide, after she spoke to just about everybody on Fashion's Biggest Night. We'll talk to her in just a bit.